This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Um, This is the news roundup. I'm going to give you guys the first news story because you guys are going to love this one. So we have our first case of voter fraud in the general election. And guess who it is? John. No. guess, guess Guess who that person was supporting? Come on, that's so easy. Come on. Hillary. No. Stein. Donald Trump. There you go. What a surprise. What a surprise. So this woman was arrested in Des Moines, Iowa, and she was arrested because she tried to vote twice. She went to one polling location, voted for Donald Trump, and then she tried to go to another polling location and vote for Donald Trump again. So if you want to know about election rigging, just ask a Donald Trump supporter, because if you can't actually win, try and vote twice while you say it. Try try and vote twice while saying the Democrats are the ones rigging the election. Well, I think that (laughs) even though voter fraud is a non-issue in our country, it happens, I think, 0.2 percent of the time. In-person voter fraud. Right. Well, it can happen either way to those that 0.2% of people it happens to. Yeah. So it just happened to happen to a Donald Trump supporter. The, the last seven reports of voter fraud. It didn't happen to her. She ha- she did it. She did yeah. it, yeah. Well, allegedly. She's not no, a victim she, of a she crime. Said, she said, I was worried about voter fraud, so I wanted to do it myself to see if people could really do it. <laughs> no, she said that. And now she's facing up to five years in prison. Well, well, that's what happens when you commit it, and I'm glad we have strong laws around that. I did want to move on to another story during the news roundup. I want to talk about Renee Davis. She is the 23-year-old. Uh, she was the 23-year-old mother who was five months pregnant, who was shot and killed by police um, while she was on... At her home, and she actually lived on a Native American tribal land. So supposedly, um, she suffered from depression, and she was suicidal. She had texted her boyfriend saying, you know, I'm thinking about ending my life. Meanwhile, her other three children were in the in the home with her. So her boyfriend called cops and said, can you please check on my girlfriend because she's suicidal. Lo and behold, cops get there, they shoot her. Now, to be all fair, I will say this. They said that she was, she did have possession of a handgun. She was an active hunter. Again, she was Native American. She lived on a tribal land. So, you know, that's something that was a part of her culture and uh, probably a strong hobby. Um, and she was suicidal. The thing is that what makes the story so problematic, and I know not all the facts are there, but I think we, if, if, Police officers could focus more on de-escalating situations and have maybe better training when it comes to dealing with those suffering from mental illness. Maybe they wouldn't be as quick to shoot people and they would, um, you know, have more of a skill set when it comes to disarming them um, rather than automatically shooting because they feel like they're in fear of their lives. So um, I think that the police do need better training to deal with people with mental health issues. However... I'm going to wait till the rest of the information okay. comes out because if she did have a gun, I'm, I'd be a little bit jumpy too. I mean, let's just put something out there, though. Putting aside the individual facts of these cases, if you look at what goes on in the United Kingdom, right, almost no, none of their police officers have guns. In fact, if you want to be a police officer in the United Kingdom that carries a gun, like, it requires very, very special training, and I think it's, like, only, like, one in every, like, 200 officers that have a gun. Instead, they are trained in de-escalation techniques. But there's other major differences. Uh, uh, England isn't a country where there is hundreds and millions, hundreds of millions of guns either. 
where that people that the regular citizens don't. So this is like a two level problem. Nonetheless, regardless of without getting into the issue of of gun ownership and and the gun debate here in America and the differences between England and gun laws there versus gun laws here, and just getting back to talking about the police and this idea of de-escalation, that's exactly what we need. When we talk about better training, there are multiple things that need to come into that that I don't have time to go into in detail. But one of the things that should come into is de-escalation training. Right now, we have a situation where, in most cases, what we've seen is police officers escalating situations, not de-escalating them. Sandra Bland is a perfect example of that, right? She was like, I don't want to get out of the car. I'm smoking my cigarette. And rather than just saying, all right, you know what? I'm going to let her sit in the car and smoke her cigarette because she's obviously upset right now. His reaction was to open up the door and grab her and pull her out of that vehicle, right? That was not de-escalating the situation. That was escalating the situation. And so we have to look back at that and say, had that officer de-escalated that situation and just, you know, said, okay, I'm going to go back. I'm going to write you the ticket. You know, I'm going to come back. I'm going to give you the ticket. If you don't believe that you were doing something wrong, then you can go to court and you can fight the ticket at court. Thank you, ma'am. Have a nice day. Then that situation doesn't escalate and Sandra Bland doesn't end up dead in a jail cell in a police precinct, whether she hung herself or not, whether she, you know, whether there was some foul play. So the, the fact of the matter is, is one of the big things that we are in need of when it comes to policing is training as to de-escalation, among other things. So, do you know who's really good with de-escalation, apparently? The Portland police, because when the Bundy Ranchers went and held <laughs> that right. federal building hostage mm-hmm. and they had automatic rifles, the police didn't shoot them. Well, you know, they ended up, they ended up being gunshots, but that was when they actually engaged with federal agents. But... Speaking of those Bundy ranchers who held the um, the federal office in Portland, Oregon hostage, they had a trial for it, and they were all acquitted, not guilty. While they were getting that not guilty verdict, even though they said they were trying to push federal workers out of that space and trying to take over the land, while they were getting that not guilty verdict from an all-white jury, by the way, protesters in North Dakota fighting to stop the North Dakota pipeline from being put onto their own sacred lands were shot with rubber <gasps> bullets. They were pepper sprayed. They were tear gassed. There was one man who was praying who they shot him with, with the rubber bullet then dragged them off. So I, just, I, I bring that up because I want to show you guys the disparity that we're facing literally on American soil. So while a group of white men can go and take a federal building hostage and say that they are willing to use lethal force and go to, they can be arrested, go to trial and walk away, you have Amy Goodman from Democracy Now!, who they tried to give her federal charges. They ha- you have other activists who are being charged with terrorist threats, who are being charged with aggravated assault because they bled on bullets that the cops shot them with. This is what's happening in North Dakota with black and brown people and in Portland, Oregon with white people. I don't disagree that there's a disparity, uh, for sure. And I agree with everything you just said. I just want to, just for a half a second, why... In th- legally speaking, why the verdict came back the way it is. So the, what they were charged with was having a conspiracy to interfere with uh, um, basically the uh, the workers, right? And I think really the prosecution maybe botched this, but I also think that like the defense attorneys did a good job, right? Like being a criminal defense attorney myself, you sort of look at the prosecution, you look at what the charges are, and you try and figure the whole thing out. And the whole thing here was, in order for them to be found guilty of this conspiracy, they had to have proved that they intended to interfere with the the operations, but also that they actually did interfere with the workers' abilities to do their jobs. And when the jury came back, and like you said, it wasn't all white jury, so we have to take that into account. What the jury essentially said was that based on the evidence that was presented, they agreed that they intended to do these things, but what they 
that what they found was that there was never any instances or any evidence that they actually interfered with any of the workers on the refugees being able to do their jobs. Not their the the. the but the, they did for thirty days. I mean, no, they were. Uh, uh, listen, I don't disagree, right? I'm saying what they're saying is just because they couldn't use that building doesn't mean they couldn't do their jobs, right? If your job at the animal refugee is to do X, Y, and Z, and you're still able to do X, Y, and Z, even if these people are occupying this building, then the legally speaking, you will not have made out the elements because X, Y, and Z were, were, they were not interfered with doing X, Y, and Z. Now we can disagree with that. We can say, you know, maybe the prosecutor should have charged them with something different. Maybe the way the jury instruction should have been given, it should have said like, if you find that just being in this building was an interference, you can find them guilty. But essentially what happened was they had to have, you know, if, if, like I said, if the people who worked at the refugee have to do re- the wild re- wildlife refugee had to do X, Y, Z, and they were still able to accomplish X, Y, Z, then under the charges that the prosecutors brought, they wouldn't have been guilty. Thank you for that, Alyssa. We do have to go on a quick break, but don't go anywhere. When we get back, we're going to be talking about the Unfortable Care Act. All right, right here. Let your voice be heard. We are. Yeah, I said it. We are.